Well, before we turn in our Bibles, we're going to come to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. And uh, I was greatly encouraged this morning because the verse the Lord gave me uh, was this from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of God may be of God. Let me read that again. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And uh, what he's saying there is we're, like, we're weak, we're earthen vessels, we're not, and I feel very much like that today, but the power is of God. And you know, there used to be a man who used to preach here, and I knew him when he was a pastor in Farnham. His name was Paul Tucker. And Paul Tucker had polio, and he had a terrible breathing difficulty. And yet when you heard Paul preach, it was the power of God, wasn't it? Those of you who remember. And the Lord was able to use him. So let's put our trust in the same God and ask him to help us today. Our Father, I thank you, Lord God, for that verse of scripture. And I thank you for the truth that you're able to use a weak earthen vessel like me. And I pray that you'll be pleased to do so. To the glory of your name, that the excellence of the power may be known to be of you. I pray it will be your glory, and I pray, Father God, you will have the glory for all the things that are said in this sermon and the power that comes from the word itself. So, Lord, bless this to us today. Bless those who are listening at home. You know the needs of each one, Lord. It's not just the preacher. There are many who are suffering today, and we do pray for each one of them, Lord. We do pray for our sister Carol in a special way, Lord, knowing that she's suffering, waiting for this operation, and we just pray very much for her. And we pray for others too, that you would be their healer and their helper in their time of discomfort and difficulty. We lift this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of Daniel and chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. This is where the Lord led me to at the beginning of the week for the message today. And he knew that before I had a cold. So even though it's a long chapter, trusting him for his help to be able to to preach through it. Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations and men of every language who live in all the world. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream. That made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called 
Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were, were beautiful and its fruit abundant and on it was the food was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. <coughs> Excuse me. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice. Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to everyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air. You, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut, out, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. 
Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live like the wild beasts until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honour and splendor will return to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Praise God for that chapter of his word. 
I remember many years ago hearing a story that blessed me about King George VI. And on one occasion, a, a servant burst into uh, the room where he was, not realizing he was in that room because it was so quiet. He had no sounds outside. And he found the king on his knees in prayer. And he said, I'm so sorry, sir. I didn't mean to disturb you. And backed out immediately. And the king called back and said this. Don't worry, he said, next time, come and join me. There is room for all at the throne of grace. Now, I love to think that's a true story because God in heaven loves to save all men, including kings, including kings. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm praying for Prince Charles. You know, Prince Charles, King Charles now was given a Bible back in 1969 by the Gideons. I wonder where that Bible is today. I wonder if it's been read or if it's just sat in a cupboard somewhere in, in Buckingham Palace. I hope it has been. But he wants kings as well as everyone else to be saved. It's true in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the Lord does say not many who are noble are saved. But it doesn't say not any who are noble will be saved. And that was the verse that uh, Selina, the Countess of Huntington, said she was going to get into, into heaven on. She said she was going to get into heaven by the letter M. Because it says, not many, not, not any. And uh, she said, therefore, God hasn't shut out even me, though she was uh, a very uh, wealthy and prestigious aristocrat in her day. God wants all people to be saved, kings and all. This is what it says in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that prayers that requests, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. And he goes on to say, this is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The Lord wants all men to be saved, including kings and dear friend, including you. And that's why I'm, I'm pleased you're here today. And I want to share with you here, those who are on Zoom, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ from this wonderful chapter. Because you see, in this chapter here, what we have is the conversion of a king. And there's not many I know of, but this is one of them. And it's the conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar. And it's uh, uh, the story of perhaps one of the greatest kings ever to live in the history of mankind. Nebuchadnezzar was a, uh, was a king who, had, who established uh, the, the Babylonian Empire in his day. And he was a, a king who conquered huge areas of the Middle East. And his kingdom was likened into the, in the Bible to a head of gold. You are the head of gold, Daniel said to him. On what occasion? He was uh, greater than all the other kingdoms that were going to come after him. And God in his grace brought this man to salvation. And what we have in Daniel chapter 4 is his spiritual biography. How it came about and uh, the steps that led 
to his salvation. And it's a a part of Daniel's ongoing theme, really. The the book of Daniel is about the times of the Gentiles, which means the time when the Jewish people are under Gentile rule and dominion. And it really lasted from when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem uh, in 586 BC, and it lasts all the way until the Antichrist, which will be uh, the end of the Gentile era. And then there will be a Jewish king who rules the world, King Jesus, when he comes back. But uh, the book of Daniel covers this in, in both prophecy and history, and it tells us an awful lot of things about it. And the first four chapters, just looking at these first four chapters, has a series of messages that are helpful for people living in this time. Chapter 1 tells us about how the, the people of God will be preserved, how the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, will be preserved in that time, how their identity and integrity will be preserved. And uh, we see that by Daniel's example in not eating the meat that the king offered him. He kept to the law of God. He followed the word of God. And by doing so, his integrity was kept and also their identity was kept. They weren't assimilated into the Babylonian Empire. Uh, They kept their identity as Jewish people, (coughs) as Hebrews. You know, the devil has wanted to wipe out the Jewish people by annihilation, but also by assimilation as well. But this is how... They will be preserved uh, by following God's word. Chapter 2 tells us in the times of the Gentiles, gives us a vision, a dream, which was Nebuchadnezzar's statue of the different metals that represented the different empires that were going to come from his day right the way through to Rome and then finally to Rome revived in the last days with the Antichrist. And it's the outline of, of world events and then the outcome of that as the, as the empires fall at the return of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 tells us about the persecution that there will be on the people of God, both the Jews and all followers of the Lord, uh, in the times of the Gentiles. But how they will know God's presence in the midst of that difficult time. Like the, the three children thrown in the fiery furnace and the Lord with them in the fire. And then finally, chapter 4, as far as we'll go in this little quick survey, it tells us about Gentiles being converted. And that's part of what God's purpose is in the times of the Gentiles and even the kings being saved. So I want us to have a look at this, as I say this morning, and I want you to see uh, the conversion of this great king under three headings. The marks of his conversion, how we know it was a true conversion, the means of his conversion, And the message of his conversion. First of all then, let's see the marks of his conversion. And this is really in verses 1 to 3. You know, in the Bible it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. There's going to be a change when you become a Christian. We have a hymn that we sometimes sing. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And there is going to be a change when you become a Christian. John Wesley used to say, if your Christianity doesn't change your life, you better change your Christianity because it's not the real one. The real one brings a change to us. As that's what conversion means by the work of the Holy Spirit inside us. God makes us new. 
quick illustration of this for our purposes this morning would be this gentleman here whose name is John. You say, I can't see his face. No, his face is deliberately hidden from the camera because this man was a former drug baron and cartel leader uh, in Colombia. And he was converted in a prison where he, was, uh, where he met some Christian missionaries. And even though he was a very dangerous and very powerful man, the grace of God came to him. And when he came out of prison, he made it his aim to stop doing all the things he'd been doing before and instead give his life to going around the villages preaching Jesus Christ and telling the good news. That's a change, that's a transformation, isn't it? By the power of God. That's what we're talking about here today. And we see it with Nebuchadnezzar in these opening verses where he begins this letter that he's written to the nations. <coughs> Excuse my cough, sorry. He starts off by showing his peace towards others in verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, they always put the who it's from at the, the beginning rather than at the end, which is how we write our letters. And it says, to the peoples, nations and men of every language who live in the, all the world, may you prosper greatly. Now, this was a different attitude from the, the, the world emperor who came to smash and pulverize and destroy any nation that stood against him, leading the mightiest army the world has ever known to conquer and crush and destroy. And he sends out a message, may you all prosper, may you peace. Shalom is literally what it's saying in Hebrew, or Aramaic as I should, should say, as this part's written in. And uh, he's saying out, sending out his peace. And he sends it to the peoples, nations, and men of every language. That's the same three people groups as he broken down, subdivided, as are in chapter 3, verse 7, when he gave the command, you'd better bow down to my image, all the peoples and nations and languages. You'd better do what I say. But this is a different man now. He has peace towards others. And you know what, one of the things that changes in your life when you become a Christian is that your, your disposition towards other people will be changed as the grace of God works in you. And uh, there's wonderful testimonies of, of God saving people and transforming relationships, restoring broken marriages and so on. Because when they come to know the Lord, there's peace towards others in our hearts. Uh, we see it in his pleasure in witnessing. He wanted to tell people what God had done. And this is what he says in verse 2. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. He had a desire to tell people what God had done for him. And uh, he said, it's been a miracle what God has done for me. Miracle signs and wonders have been done in me as this wonderful change has come. And it's been done by the Most High God. And he gives God the glory. But notice he says, it's my pleasure to tell you about it. It's not like, oh, well, now I've become a Christian. I've got to tell you, but I don't really want to tell you. His arm up behind his back. He says, I want to tell you. I want to tell you. 
Again, that's one of the things that happens when you become a Christian. It's a sign that you've really been saved. There's an overflow with your mouth and what's in the heart starts to come out. And the apostles in the book of Acts said, we can't help telling about what, what's happened to us and what we've seen and know uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's uh, the pleasure of our hearts. But also we see his praise to God in verse 3. And he gives beautiful words of praise, equal to the psalmist. He says, how great are his signs, that's God's signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. What wonderful words of praise these are. They're, they're perhaps uh, modelled on Psalm 145, verse 13 which says your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Maybe he'd started learning scripture and uh, put his own praises with it. Well, this is what he loves to do. And his letter opens and closes with words of praise. If you go to the other end of this letter, in verse 35, you have a, a great uh, statement on, on the uh, verse 34 and 35. You have uh, the statement about God's kingdom being eternal. In verse 35, God's power being sovereign. And he says, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of the heaven and the peoples of the earth, both above and below. Uh, and he says, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And uh, he's declaring the sovereignty of God in praise. You know, when somebody's really saved is when they start praising God for his sovereignty. That's one of the things people hate about God. They hate. Spurgeon said it's the football that men love to kick. The sovereignty of God. Why does your God allow this? Why does... They hate God being on the throne. They will let God be everywhere except being on his throne. But when he was saved, he was declaring, Nebuchadnezzar was declaring the praises of God. And he says, no one says to him, what have you done? What have you done? No one says that to him. No. And by the way, that's a very key question in the Bible. What have you done? That was the question God asked to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What have you done? It was the question he asked to Cain in Genesis 4. What have you done? It was the question that God asked uh, through Samuel to King Saul when he offered the sacrifice. What have you done? It was the question that got asked to Jonah in the boat. What have you done that you've brought this storm upon us? You don't ask that question to God. God is not accountable to man. God is sovereign. And Nebuchadnezzar praised him for it. How great is our God. So what a change had come in his heart. And so we see his conversion is a real conversion. We see these marks of it. And dear friends, I wonder tonight, do you have, uh, today, do you have uh, any evidence of a real change in your heart from your profession of faith. You know, anybody can say they're a Christian, can't they? But you know the difference when somebody's life has been changed. Once uh, a new pastor was very wise and he was asked by a member of his church, he said, uh, how do you know when someone's really converted? And the best answer I've ever heard, he said this, he said, you know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. That's how you know when someone's really saved. That's the best answer you know when you say it. 
And uh, this is what we see with Nebuchadnezzar. We see it. God has done this wonderful work in him. And you know what? That excites me as a Christian because that means Nebuchadnezzar is somebody I'm going to meet in heaven. And together we're going to cast our crowns before the throne and bow before the Lord Jesus Christ in worship. Isn't that an exciting thought? And uh, it makes this passage all the more amazing. Here we have the testimony of a king who was converted. And then secondly, I want you to see the, the means of his conversion uh, in the middle part of this story. And, uh, you know, somebody once said, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. But there's many ways to Jesus. And that's true. There's only one way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You won't get to God unless you come by Jesus. But there's many different ways to Jesus. And we all have a different journey that brings us to salvation. And here we see the the means by which Nebuchadnezzar was converted. And uh, it's the same means which God often uses to get through to people today. For instance, it begins with a word. A word. There's a message from God. And this is really the dream that he tells about in verses 4 through uh, uh, to uh, about verse, 50, uh, verse 16. And uh, in this passage, he tells his dream. Now, I can't go through every phrase. This will be here all morning. Uh, but the, the dream was a, a word, a message given by God. Now... I believe God still sends dreams. Okay, I still believe God says dream, sends dreams, and uh, but they're not to be. They don't replace Scripture, but it's evident today that God is using dreams to reach Muslim people, especially. In fact, this will blow you away. I, I, in the in one of my prayer books at home on praying for different nations in the world, I read this amazing testimony that in Algeria, in one night, all the people in a, local, in a village had the same dream about the Lord Jesus. Think about that. Not just one person having a dream, but they all had the same dream in one night. And there, there was a, a, this is going back a few years, but there was a, a great turning to the Lord Jesus Christ in that village. And sometimes when the Bible isn't available or people are unreachable, I mean, how can anyone reach Putin? How can anyone reach that man or the leader of North Korea? How can anybody get to him to give him the gospel? Well, God may have his Daniel in there, but you know what? God can get a dream to him. It may not be a Bible accessible, but God can get a dream to him. And this is what God used with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, with us today, he gives us the scripture. And we have the scripture that speaks. And this is the word of the Lord that will speak to us today. But Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and this was God's message to him. He had a a dream of a great tree. Now, a tree is uh, an appropriate thing for Nebuchadnezzar to dream of. We found inscriptions, and and one of the legacies of the Babylonian empires is the wealth of inscriptions we have uh, from the Babylonian empire. (coughs) Uh, in archaeology and one of the inscriptions describes Babylon as being a great tree 
Well, that's interesting because that's how Nebuchadnezzar uh, saw himself in, in this dream. He saw a tree. Verse 10, these are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Now, notice its site. It's in the middle of the land. And uh, it's where the Babylonian Empire was in the middle uh, of the Middle East, the place where it spread out from. Notice its, uh, its size. It says its height was enormous. And Nebuchadnezzar had grew, grown to enormous power uh, over time, conquering and conquering and conquering. His kingdom grew bigger and his power and influence grew great. Verse 11 says the tree grew large and strong and its top reached the sky. That was always Babylon's aim, wasn't it? You remember even the Tower of Babel, let's build us a tower to the heavens. Uh, well, it's, this tree grew very tall and great. And uh, its, its uh, spread was great as well. The tree grew up and it, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. And its leaves were beautiful. Its branches reached out. And its supply was full of fruit that was abundant on it and food for all. And the Babylonian Empire really uh, provided in the same way that Rome was a, a provision for those they conquered. Um, although they were tax burdens as well, they helped organize things and they helped provide for their empire. And this is what the Babylonian Empire became. And it became a shelter for others as well. It says under it the beasts of the field found shelter and the birds of the air lived in its branches. From it every creature was fed. And uh, there were empires that came into the Babylonian empire itself as they were conquered and they were sheltered by him. So he became a massive leader. And this tree is the image of Nebuchadnezzar. It's not the only place in the Bible a tree is used as a picture of a man. David says he was like an olive tree. Uh, Israel is likened to a vine. In the book of Ezekiel, Assyria and Egypt's Pharaoh are likened to a mighty Cyprus. So this was the word that God sent this man. He said, you're like this great tree. But then something in the vision happened that was disturbing. He saw an angel, a watcher, come down from heaven. Now, in verse 13, it says a messenger. If you're using a King James version, it says a watcher from heaven. And uh, the watchers are, uh, is an interesting phrase that's used in pre-New pre Testament, Old Testament uh, literature for the angels that they are called the watchers. And you remember around the throne of God in Revelation 4, the angels are covered in eyes. Did you ever think that was strange? Did that give you the creeps? You know, we're used to only creatures with two eyes, but some of God's creatures have many eyes. A box jellyfish has 24 eyes. And uh, some of God's angelic creatures are covered in eyes. And that's not symbolic. That's what they are like. But of course it teaches us that God is watching. And the angels are watching what is done. And that's why we've got to be careful looking after the children. Because, you know, their angels are watching. And they know what is done to every child. 
And uh, we, we ought to be careful according to what Jesus said. And the watcher comes down from heaven and he decrees that the tree be cut down. The tree be cut down. And this is the, the judgment that's going to fall on Nebuchadnezzar. And then it be bound with brass and iron. So that was the word that God sent to Nebuchadnezzar. And you know, God gives his word to get through to people with the message of the gospel. I read a beautiful testimony just recently um, in a back copy of Open Doors about a, a man in North Africa who uh, was suffering from depression and he was living under oppressive Islam and uh, he was deeply, very heavily low and he bought a house, a house that had been abandoned and was in a terrible state, that's why he could afford it and he started cleaning up the house and in the dirt and the dust of the house he found a book and he blew the the dust off the cover and it was a New Testament and Psalms. And this man couldn't believe this holy book had been left behind in the house by the people who'd left the house. And it had become so dusty, he thought it needs to be cleaned up and it needs to be looked after. And he thought it must be a precious book. And he started to read it. And praise God, his depression lifted as he put his faith in Jesus Christ, the one who was there. And he turned to the Lord for salvation. How God used the Bible to get through. And you know what, dear friends? There's a book here today that is speaking to you today. Telling you, put your faith in Jesus to be saved from your sins, to go to heaven when you die. And the gospel is speaking to you today, the word of the Lord. This is how God saves men. But God not only gave him a word, he gave him a witness. He gave him Daniel as well. Because when he had the dream, he didn't understand it fully. uh, And so he asked for helpers to come. He asked all the losers to come in, all the magicians and astrologers and people who hadn't been able to help him previously in chapter 2. For some reason, he went through the protocol of inviting them back in to come. But I think he didn't really trust them. And Daniel finally comes in. And in verse 18, he says at the end, uh, this is, or says in verse 18, this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, has had now Belteshazzar, which was his Babylonian name, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. And isn't that amazing? Even though he was a pagan king living with all this idolatry and wickedness, he could see in Daniel the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the holy God. That's how he explained it. But he knew that Daniel was a man full of God and full of the Holy Spirit. And Daniel had been his friend. And Daniel had been helping him ever since he'd been given him the position of power back in chapter 1. And chapter 2, giving him the interpretation of the dream. And his friends in chapter 3. And he had trust in Daniel. And uh, that's why he called him. And Daniel did a good job. He reiterated the dream. In fact, Daniel's a good preacher. He gave the text. He gave the interpretation of the dream, how God was going to judge him uh, from verse 24 onwards. And then he gave the application in verse 27. That's good preaching. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice.
vice, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. God gave him a witness and therefore uh, he heard the gospel from this man as well as from the word he had received. And do you know what? When God reaches people, you'll find he's given them the message. He's given them a witness too. How many people in this community have had a witness, a Christian witness? How many here today have had a Christian witness? It may be a friend at school. It may be Margaret Weeks in the Monday meeting, a witness to you. It may be somebody who used to take you for Sunday school. It may be somebody you worked alongside with uh, in the office or in the factory. But God has given you a witness, somebody to tell you about him Christian wife or Christian husband and God is telling you you need to be saved you need to be saved I've given you my word I've given you a witness too listen to the things God has given you you're privileged to have them and he's calling out to you to come to him but you know what when people don't listen to God's word and they don't listen to God's witness then what God has to do is he has to send them a warning this is what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. The events that had been warned about came upon him. And uh, it came a year later after hearing the message in verse 28. All this happened to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar, 12 months later. You know, isn't it interesting? When we hear the Bible and we hear the gospel, sometimes there's a moment of crushing conviction and we're fighting and wrestling inside and somebody's told us about the Lord and we know we need to be saved and there's a battle on inside. But then we manage to subdue it and we go on our way and a year later we're totally forgotten about it. But God hasn't forgotten. And if you don't listen to his word and if you don't listen to his witness, what's he got left to use? Unfortunately, that's when God often sends bad things to us to make us wake up. And it's what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. And God brought this illness upon him. And as he stood there boasting about his great Babylon, which he had built, and it was a great place, he had done a great work, God brought this illness on him, an illness of the mind. And as in the prophecy, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was like the tree cut down and he was driven to live among the animals. He had a a condition known as bovanthropy, which is where people, uh, bova is is the uh, cattle version of it, it's where people think they're an animal and uh, they actually start eating grass. There was a case of this known in the last century in one of our English hospitals, I read. And, uh, and that's what happened to this man. He went out of his mind for seven years. I believe Daniel looked after him during those seven years and kept the kingdom running. But it was a horrible experience. And at the end of that, we read in verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. He looked back up to God and turned to him. 
And often that's what God has to use to get through to people. And you know, this is God's aim, isn't it? To get us to be saved. Listen to what it says in the book of Job, verse chapter 33. For God does speak, now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride, to preserve his soul from the pit, his way, his life from perishing by the sword. You know, when God does this, he's trying to save people from the pit. He's trying to save them from going to hell. And I want to tell you, dear friends, these were the means by which God brought Nebuchadnezzar to faith and trust in the living God. And I just pray that God will speak to each one of us here today, if we're not yet saved, that he will speak to us through his word and we'll respond to his word. That we'll respond to his witness, the pastor, the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, the friend, the wife, the husband who's a Christian. That we'll respond that God doesn't have to send us some bad, bad thing to be a warning to us. A serious illness or a a serious situation in life. But God can use those things. And if he does, may it still bring us to our senses to put our trust in him. Because he doesn't want us to go to the pit. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda? Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Think of that. Something worse than being a cripple for 38 years. What is the worst thing? Going to hell. And that's what Jesus was, uh, I believe, warning that man about. So listen uh, to the means of salvation. Recognize God's dealing with you and come and put your faith in him. And finally, the message of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar's conversion is given in the last verse. Because as the chapter closes out, he uh, gives praise to God again. And his last remark is this. And he says, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And he says here, God is able to humble the proud. And that's what he had done with him. It's one of the great lessons. Nebuchadnezzar had big eyes and small U's. <laughs> you know, all the way uh, in, this, in, in the book, I, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, and this is how people were. In the middle letter of the word pride is I. And that's how a lot of people are. I did it my way. A lot of people are very proud of their self-sufficiency and all they've done. And that's what stops them coming to Christ. They're proud. But those who are proud, he is able to humble. And that's what he did with Nebuchadnezzar. And that's a message each one of us takes, needs to take to heart. When we resist God in pride, then God is able to humble us and bring us down. But those who are humble, God gives them saving grace. If we come to him admitting we're sinners, admitting we need the Lord, then he will respond to us in his grace. What does it say? James 4 verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Quoting Proverbs 3. So let's learn the lesson, the message of his conversion as well. 
God loves to save kings. He loves to save the subjects of kings. That we may all together belong to the king of kings. The king of heaven as Nebuchadnezzar calls him in verse 37. May he be pleased to save even some today by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ.